Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to introduce to you Chad Jones. Some of you have met him as CJ. He is one of our interns here at the church, usually on Sundays. You'll see him running around in one of the community rooms taking care of business. Uh, that's, uh, that's priority number one on Sundays. We've got to take care of business and get stuff done. Chad senses a call on his life, though, to teach the Word of God. And so today, he and also one of our other interns, Jake Saylor, will be sharing the responsibilities of preaching God's Word. So I want to pray for Chad as he comes today. He has a powerful message to share with us. Would you pray for him while he uh, preaches and just encourage him, but also prepare your hearts to receive what he has to say for us today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Chad and just for the way that you're working in his heart and in his life. And I pray that this word that you have birthed in him today, uh, that you would use him powerfully to share, uh, that God, Jesus, might uh, be exalted above all, and that the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ might be uttermost clear in the words today. And Father, grant to us faith to trust and believe in all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, LifePoint. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, like Lane said, I'm an intern here, and I've been coming here for about a year or so. Um, in that time, I've been able to see God do a lot of really cool things through the church in my new marriage, and so I'm really excited. I pray that this morning would be a blessing for all of you guys as well. Um, I'm extremely honored, honored to be able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 12 through 14. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open to it now with me. The scripture says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is God's word. What I want all of us to take away today is that God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat people as Christ has treated us. God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat people as Christ has treated us. So right above in your Bibles, you might notice a heading entitled The Golden Rule. No matter, no matter what your background looks like in regards to the church, you've heard The Golden Rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But this isn't just a good one-liner that we can pull out from the Bible to make our kids more well-behaved. Jesus says here it's actually the entire summation of the law and the prophets. Knowing that he was speaking to a Jewish crowd who would have been extremely familiar with the law, Jesus specifically mentions not only does it sum up the law, but it sums up the prophets as well. And essentially what it's saying is all the time before me, can be summed up in this one command, do unto others as you would have them do unto me, unto you. Well, this would have pierced the hearts of the hearers who positioned their religious adherence to the law as the pinnacle of their identity. And it was made manifest in their status in society as they were often quite popular and quite wealthy. 
but they missed it because the religious leaders liked to formulize the law. They looked at it in, in its fullness and they said, these are the laws that I want to follow. These are the laws I don't want to follow. These are important and these ones I can disregard. And Jesus says, no, that's not the point. It's not about how well you can do to fulfill the law. He says, you can never fulfill the law. But he goes on to say that I can and I have. And because Jesus has fulfilled the law, we'll see today that it has serious implications for our life. Which brings us to the main point of Jesus' sermon. Throughout this entire summer, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, essentially Jesus' declaration of his kingdom. And so now we get to chapter 7, um, and this is, this is something that Jesus wants us to take away. It's a call for us. If Jesus was preaching at Life Point, it'd be on the board. It'd be that important. We must treat others the way we want to be treated. Well, we don't get very far into examining our own lives before we realize that we fall short in this a lot of the time. We don't always respond positively to the things that people do to us. How about some examples? The first time that your child does the opposite of what you tell them to do, do you respond positively? How about when that same child grows up and they curse your name, do you respond positively? Anybody got any honorary teenagers or anything like that? How about when your coworker gets a raise or they get acknowledged for their work, but you don't and you worked harder and you deserved it more? How about when someone talks behind your back, they make up rumors about you, fabricate lies about you, defaming your name? Do you respond positively in these situations? It's silly, right? We don't even have to answer the question. We don't always respond positively to the things that people do to us. So we need God's example in this, in our lives. Since the beginning of time, God has demonstrated for us, demonstrated for us time and time again how to treat others. He's treated us how we don't deserve in order that we can pass that on to others. And when we understand how God has treated us, we can begin understanding how we must live this out in our interactions with the other people in our lives. So we see that all throughout the Bible, God demonstrates things for us. He demonstrates how to live. For example, Jesus took, bapt uh, Jesus took communion, right? As an example for us. Jesus was baptized as an example for us. And in the same way, it wasn't just Jesus, but here he says it's the law and the prophets. So we got to go back a long time. In very creation, God spoke galaxies and stars into creation, and then he creates man. And what does man do? Man creates things because God has demonstrated that for us. God has always demonstrated how to live for us. And this is no different. We will see today that God demonstrates how we must treat other people in his son, Jesus. God demonstrated how to treat others in his example of initiation. In Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul writes, Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus first forgave us. He initiated the reconciliation. So considering the cross, we have no reason for treating others poorly, and now we have the responsibility and opportunity to act outside the way we normally would with people in our lives. We love. Why? Because Jesus first loved us. We have the ability to initiate reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus first initiated it with us. When we had no interest in God and in fact despised him, he willingly gave up his life for us. 
to reconcile you to himself. Jesus also demonstrated how we should treat others and that there should be no expectation of reciprocation. Jesus gave up his life when we couldn't reciprocate. Friends, how could the Savior of the world give up his life out of any other motivation except love? We have nothing to offer him. We can offer him no fame, no glory, and no wealth. Let's not forget that all of these things come from God's hand in the first place. God, knowing good and well that there was nothing that we could ever do to reciprocate the cross, continued with his plan. So what does that mean in this context? It means that we don't treat people any certain way with the motivation that we will receive anything in return. He gave to us knowing that we could not return the favor. That's why the gospel is good news, friends. There's no expectation of reciprocation when we come to the cross. God doesn't write an IOU to you. Your slate is wiped clean. So we see that God has initiated how to treat other people in his son Jesus without expecting reciprocation. And this is for the purpose that God will get glory from it. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus speaks about spiritual disciplines like prayer and giving and fasting. And he says all these things should be done in secret. Not so that others can behold your righteousness, but so that in secret you can behold God's righteousness and God will be the one who receives the glory from these disciplines. We must treat others in a way that's contrary to the world because it brings glory to God. Friends, we ought to baffle people with our responses to them. It's more than being nice to people. It doesn't take a relationship with Jesus to be a kind person, right? The difference lies in the fact that those who are transformed by the love of God are inclined to bless others despite what happens to them. You don't repay evil for evil, but in everything we do, we do for the glory of God. And how we treat people is a direct representation of our understanding of God's glorious grace to us in Jesus. And so now we've seen how God has always given us an example, and this is no different. He's given us an example for how we are to treat other people. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus commands us to respond here. God's example in Jesus elicits a response from us to do also to others. God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat others as Christ has treated us. The command here is to do also to others, not to know what to do also to others. You see, it's not enough for us to cognitively recognize how we should treat people, but actually to put it into action. And if your heart belongs to him, you'll respond to his example by actively choosing to treat others from the platform of grace. Well, treating people the way that we would want to be treated is pretty easy to do on paper. Because we can compile a list of ways in which people have wronged us and we wish that people would treat us. And so that's exactly what I did. I compiled a list of three things that I, uh, three ways that I wish that people would treat me. And then I just did what the verse said and I just made it applicable. And I asked myself, CJ, do you treat other people like this? And so I'm going to share my list with you. Hopefully some of them resonate. I would encourage you to make your own list and ask yourself that simple question. But on my list I had... I wish that people would rejoice in my successes. Like when good things happen to me, I wish that people would be genuinely excited. Not kind of like, hey, good job, but really like harboring resentment. The second thing I wrote is that I wish that people would encourage me. How good does that feel to be encouraged, right? And the third thing that I wrote is I wish that people would treat me with respect. 
And with this short list of three things, then I asked myself the question that I would urge you to ask yourself. CJ, do you treat people like this? And I found that as I was walking through my, my short list, I couldn't even make it past my wife, Paige, before I realized that I had often fallen short in all three of these things. It's a lot easier to make the list, but it's a lot harder to ask yourself the question and face reality. So we should respond to God's example to us and Jesus. And one of those ways is in how we view people. The Pharisees that we were talking about earlier believed that they were more highly favored before God because the diligence with which they kept the law. They believed they were here and that everybody else was down here because they were able to keep more laws. It's the heart of the Pharisee's prayer when he says, God, thank you for not making me like this sinner. But the cross puts us on the same playing field. The cross doesn't make distinctions between people. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. So ask yourself, how do you view people? Is it in a response to how God viewed you? I recently got a new job as a property manager, and one of the, the laws that they hammer into your mind as a property manager is a law known as the Fair Housing Act. And essentially what it says is that every single person that walks through my doors, I have to treat the same exact way. It doesn't matter age, race, gender, uh, if they have a disability. If I'm going to shake one person's hand, I'm going to shake every person's hand that day because otherwise I'm counting someone as different than somebody else. That's what the cross does, friends. It puts us on the same playing field. It levels the score. At the end of the day, we will all stand before God and apart from Jesus' righteousness as the plea that we cling to, we can be sure that we have no hope to earn our own salvation because of anything inherently better in us. Or do we wish that others would see themselves as better than us? Isn't that something we're all fearful of? I mean, we live in a world of comparison. You don't just put any picture on Instagram. You put the best one, right? Christian, you're not called to believe the lie of the world that says one person's better than the next. Let me assure you that the executive of the company who's making millions of dollars a year will not stand before God at the end of his life more loved than the custodian who cleaned at night and struggled to pay the bills. And the preacher who led more people to the Lord weekly than the missionary has over the course of his entire life will not stand before God more favored and loved because of his assignment here on earth. So we see that the way we view people is a response to how Jesus views us. Additionally, the way we speak to people will be evidence of our conversion, evidence that we understand how God has treated us. In James 3.10, James, in, in reference to the tongue, says that it's a, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. He says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. The way we speak has the capacity to tear down or to build up. It has the capacity to corrode a friendship or to sing praises to God. I would encourage you, is your tongue, is your tongue tame or is it wild? Is the content of what you say to people meant for their tearing up or their tearing down or their building up? In speaking with his disciples, Jesus blessed them, encouraged them, shared the gospel with them. He spoke truth into their lives. 
Similarly to how we speak, how we act will also be evidence of our conversion, evidence of how we've seen God's, God's example to us in Jesus, right? Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, if the cross isn't an action to show love, then I don't know what is. Jesus, in reference to his disciples, again, prioritized them. He intervened in their life. He chose to walk with them. He chose to serve them. The day before he died, he spent his time washing his disciples' feet. Yet you can have no knowledge of the cross and still act in kindness and sympathy towards people. There's a difference between trying to help someone who's less fortunate than you and counting someone as more significant than yourself. The one who understands God's example to us in Jesus will operate from the position that in the end we're all insignificant before God and that God is who we bring glory to in serving. Another difference lies in the fact that our motivation for serving is for the sole purpose of others being brought into the domain of heaven. What freedom lies there? To build a house for an extended period of time for someone without mentioning the name of Jesus could hardly be described as serving lovingly. So ask yourself, is the way you view people, speak to people, and serve people out of a response to God's demonstration to us in Jesus? God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat people as Christ has treated us. Jesus then goes on in the next verse. He just gave us a command to treat others the way we want to be treated. And now he gives us a follow-up command. And the command is to choose, to choose to do this. And he, he lays before us this picture of two gates and two paths. Sorry, paths. And he says, one path is wide and one path is narrow. One path is easy and one path is hard. One path leads to death and the other leads to life. One path draws a crowd and the other has little company. I remember a poem by Robert Frost in my English class whenever I was in middle school, it was hanging on the wall. That's junior high if you're over the age of 40. And the poem pictures the narrator standing at the edge of the entrance of a, a wooded area. And he's trying to decide which, roads he wants to, which road he wants to travel. And so it ends with two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And I chose the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And Robert Frost paraphrased Jesus here, but that's okay. And I do like his analogy about the woods. You see, from the beginning of our life, sin is ingrained in our brains. You don't have to teach a child how to throw a temper tantrum. It's just pretty automatic. You don't have to teach them how to push or shove or bite or be jealous when there's a toy that they want that another kid has. But then, of course, when the other kid doesn't want it, then they don't want it anymore. You don't have to teach them how to be angry. But over time, as we grow up, it becomes easier and easier to go down that same path leading to the same result. Let me ask you, does responding to an angry person with anger ever lead to a resolution? It's a silly question, but we do it. And we do it because we've conditioned ourselves and our responses to people in certain situations. And we've chosen our flesh so many times that it's second nature. If you're into hiking, like Paige and I are, you'll notice that as you're going down a trail, you'll be able to see over on the right and on the left of you all this vegetation, all this wildlife. 
But then if you look right in front of you, you'll see that it is clearly a trail because it's not green, it's brown. It's ground all the way down to the dirt. Our natural response will always be to stay on the path. The path is wide. You won't get lost. It's safe. There's no sacrifice on the way. And on this path, there's room for treating people however you want. The path is wide. There's a wide variety for how we can treat people. If someone wrongs you, you have grounds for retribution. If someone's angry with you, be angry with them back. Respond to people however you want to respond. The wide path is also marked by the ease with which one travels down it. It's easy. How easy is it to curse people who curse you? How easy is it to pick the path of least resistance, following our flesh, acting from impulse that we've conditioned ourselves to do all these years? And then Jesus goes on to say that the wide path is filled with a crowd of people. Friends, may we never trust what the crowd says over what our Savior says. The last time we did this was 2,000 years ago at his crucifixion. The crowd says if someone wrongs you, wrong them back. Get even, get ahead. This attitude is a direct correlation to the destination of the wide path. Jesus says the destination is destruction. Treating people the way you want to treat them instead of how you would like to be treated leads to destruction. We all know those people who are kind of like a wrecking ball. Their life might be marked by burned bridges or pain. Maybe that sounds like your life. Destruction of friendships or marriages or employee relationships or relationships with your children. The wide path is marked by the self-righteous tendencies of its travelers, which blinds their eyes. The one who travels the wide path believes that everyone else is the problem. And when we point our fingers at everyone else, what we're really saying is, but look how good I am. The self-righteous attitudes of the wide path will always be easier. They will always be more natural, but they will never fail to produce negative results. God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat people as Christ has treated us. And from his example, there's another option for us, a life characterized by entering by the narrow gate in the example given to us in Jesus. Jesus here calls us to a greater righteousness. No longer do we point at other people and say, they're the problem, look how good I am, but we point to Jesus and say, look how good he is. It looks quite different. Our lives all begin on the wide path, but when Jesus enters our life, he puts a detour on the road. He allows us to take a different path than the one that we've traveled on for the entirety of our life. And when we choose to walk down the narrow path to renounce our self-righteous tendencies and choose his righteousness, we begin to start to see a change in our life. It's really easy to pick the wide path. It's really hard to pick the narrow because when we stand at the narrow path, it's really easy to look over and say, look at all those people having fun. But we know the ending. We know the end of the story. We know it leads to destruction. And we know where the narrow path leads. It leads to life. Yet soon we venture off the beaten path, off the wide path, and we begin to see that the destination is vastly different. It leads to life, right, like we said. When we begin to walk consistently in this path, we begin to start to clear an opening in the woods. At first, there's all this vegetation, but if we continue to walk down this path over and over, we will wither that vegetation away, and soon our natural inclination will be to choose Jesus and the narrow path. And if we're doing this and not choosing the wide path, the vegetation will soon grow over. 
our natural inclination will now be to choose Jesus instead of choosing our own self-righteous tendencies. So Jesus describes the narrow path in, in contrast with the wide path through a series of dichotomies, opposing views in the same sentence. He says the wide path obviously is wide, so then the other one, the narrow path, must be narrow. The wide path said that there's room for treating people in a, a wide variety of ways. But the narrow path says there is one way we are to treat people, and that's how Christ has treated us. There's no questioning how we are to respond to people on the narrow path because Jesus responded to us in one way. Now we're freed up to have our default setting be benevolence in every situation, blessing. We don't have to wonder how we're going to respond. We can just respond how Jesus has responded to us with blessing. When that same coworker gets that raise, bless them because God has blessed you. When that child acts up, whenever, whenever your teenager uh, curses you, now our response can be to bless. And then he goes on to say, after he says it's narrow, that it's difficult. We talked about how it's really easy to pick your flesh. And now he says that the narrow path is difficult. How difficult is it to go to war with your flesh when your natural inclination is to act quickly towards someone who's wronged you? How difficult is it to respond with grace to your spouse when you're in an argument and pride blinds your eyes to see the love with which the Father loves that other person? How easy is holding a grudge, but how hard is forgiveness? The wide path says, make them pay. The narrow path says, Jesus has paid. And the retraining of our brain and pushing through that new path takes time and effort to counteract the fleshly nature of our actions that have been ingrained over time but it's worth it. He goes on to say that there are few people who find it. He says many enter by the narrow gate. He says few find the narrow gate. It takes work. It takes seeking. It takes finding for us to choose Jesus because naturally we don't. That's the blessing that we've experienced from him, the ability to. And lastly, he says it leads to life. The destination is vastly different. One leads to death and one leads to life. Paige and I went on our honeymoon to Hawaii and we went to the, the island of Maui. And on the island of Maui, we did the very typical tourist attraction thing. We did the road to Hana. If you've ever been to Maui, you've done that 100%. And basically what it is, is Hana is just a town and there's just a road that you take to get there. It's only about 40 miles. But what makes it so interesting is that it's marked by about 350 needlepoint turns and it's on the edge of a cliff. And so we did that like any good tourist would do. And so we went to all the scenic lookouts and all the waterfalls and we didn't have any question wondering how we were supposed to get there because this path would take you right there. And so we did. We would just go and say, hey, scenic lookout a thousand feet and we'd get out and we'd look. And there was one thing that we could not get past. There was just a multitude of people that were here like, yeah, it's a waterfall, but like I can only see people in front of me, and I, there might be a waterfall back there. But at about mile marker five, we decided that we were going to get off the road and just grab a drink. And so we pulled the car over to the side of the road, and we noticed a little faint trail. And so we started pushing through it. And soon we had made our way all the way across this field of weeds. And when we got through it, we just found this, this little waterfall, this pocket of paradise. And there was only three people there. And there were people that just also stopped to get a drink that were 
right up there with us. So this is how Jesus' love is for us, friends. A beautiful oasis of Jesus' love lies at the end of the narrow path. Remember, we have a choice in how we treat others. Jesus said that entering by the narrow gate leads to life. You will not lose by choosing to serve, to forgive, and to love people. By the measure of strength allotted to you, fight for that relationship with your spouse or with your employee or with your kids. God has given us an example in Jesus for how we are to live with other people. And I beckon you to examine your life today and see if you're on the wide or the narrow path because God's grace in Jesus enables us to treat people as Christ has treated us. Let's pray.